Hello, and welcome to Execute Chapter 66, a Star Wars fiction podcast where we will be discussing the legends, canon, and much, much more. With me today are my co-hosts, Ryan Schwick and Chad Schonk. Over to you, Chad. I just want to remind people that this is a book club, not a review show. So we will be assuming coming in that you will have done the work ahead of time, and we will be spoiling things and possibly spoiling things throughout the Star Wars galaxy. So you have been warned. Uh, this this past week, we found out a bit of news that will affect Star Wars fiction fans, and Ryan's going to tell us a little bit about it before we get started on our main feature. Yeah, so it was a, a big week in the Star Wars Expanded Universe. Uh, if you listen to the main Needless Things uh, podcast, last week's episode, you heard me waiting for the news and monitoring it through the whole DC podcast. Um, but we did find out that night that... Project Luminous, uh, which has been a code word that's been used around since uh, 2019 celebration, is actually going to be a full publishing initiative called Star Wars The High Republic. Um, We had previously known the writers that were involved, um, but didn't really know the story or when and where it's going to take place. So The High Republic is going to take place about 200 years before the – Phantom Menace is going to involve Jedi and what are being called the Nihil, which are being labeled as space Vikings. But it's going to go over adult I believe books. it was punk rock, punk rock space Vikings. That's, That's right. What called. Yeah. And the Jedi were called Jedi Texas Rangers. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, you know, it's, so it's going to be Skywalker know, Charles, Texas Rangers. Yeah, there you go. Okay. All right. Uh, Charles Soule's going to write the first book, but it'll be – what we know right now is an adult novel, a young adult novel by Gray, a junior novelization, and then a comic book series by Marvel and a comic book series by uh, IDW. Uh, they've labeled this as phase one, so it's a big thing. Like this is going to carry over for a couple of years it seems like. Uh Seems like an interesting story. There appears to already be ties that they've kind of been hiding in. One of the Jedi that they have announced the name for is Jedi Teams, which in if you've listened to or read the Dooku audio drama play, whatever you want to call it, that came out, he is identified as one of the Lost 20 Jedi. So we know oh, okay. some of them already. Uh, the Female Jedi, Asav, I think her name is, she's already shown up just in like a panel in the current Kylo Ren, Rise of Kylo Ren kind of prequel comic um, that Marvel's putting out. But it sounds really cool. Uh, We'll see what, how this works and how much they kind of tie into events that happen now. Uh, Supposedly this is going to be Jedi, you know, as – on the on the frontier, it has something to do with some other way to access the force that the Jedi don't have. That was kind of the tagline, but they're kind of being hidden about that. So, I mean, I'm really excited about it. Uh, I do question, especially as we get to Thrawn, we can talk about this. You know, Thrawn, the next book was supposed to come out in May and Del Rey or Penguin. Penguin moved the publishing date to what October, which is only a month out of when High Republic starts. So it's kind of a weird decision, I think, to push the new Thrawn book right into the middle of what will probably be a pretty big 
advertising thing for this High Republic um, initiative. So I don't know what that means, but it is probably some money marketing stuff that we'll never know. I, I, correct me if I'm wrong. I don't think we've seen a non-movie event like this since Shadows of the Empire, probably. I, not that I can think of. I mean, we've uh, had book series, you know, like New Jedi yeah. Order, that was a big, expansive series. But as far as um, I guess it's not. I guess it's multimedia if you count comics and books, right? But but as you said, this public publishing initiative, it just reminds me of, yeah, Shadows of the Empire and how this, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if we get a soundtrack, like we did back then or something. Uh, yeah. You know? I think there's going to be more. And if you watch the video, they did a really nice like video release of it um, where they had these big writers retreats to tie it all together to make sure it's telling this one big story. Um, so I imagine if phase one goes really well. I wouldn't be surprised in phase two to see additional media. Uh, and one thing that is interesting, you know, this Neil Hill the punk rock space Vikings, some people are already starting to tie that to Darth Nillis from Kotar 2. Yeah, from um, Legends, yeah. Yeah, and so people are thinking this might be how he comes in somehow, um, which I don't know. you got to stay away from Sith. Well, you can't have the Jedi find out about the Sith unless, I guess, you murder them all at the end. Well, but, the, yeah. time the timeline seems right for them to fully bring Darth Plagueis back into it. In, into canon. It does. Uh, well, Darth Plague is the character is still canon. His story, well, the right, story is not. The book is not. The character still is. But yeah, I, I think one thing that it, wh what I found uh, interesting was we've heard a lot of talk about them doing Old Republic stories and are they going to adapt KOTOR? Are they going to even go, you know, go even further back with the movies? And we talked about this, Ryan, when we reviewed Rise of Skywalker, that what does the next Star Wars thing look like? Everyone wants something that's – everyone talks about the end of the Skywalker saga and that Star Wars needs to evolve beyond that, but no one's been able to verbalize what that means. Mm -hmm. You know, like, does it mean no Jedi? Does it mean no Sith? What, 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 what does Star Wars without the Skywalker saga look like? And so this is – while it's still Jedi, this is kind of a peak of maybe what they're thinking – yeah. One thing I, you know, when you, if you watch the video and of course a thousand people have broke down all the storyboards that you can see in the background and the buzzwords they have, um, you know, Yoda is on one of the drawings, um, on one of the idea storyboards. And so again, you kind of run into that problem. It's not are a problem we going to, but... are we going to completely separate? Yeah. Um, which I think we probably need to do for a little while. But then again, if you're going to have a story set in that period, it makes sense for Yoda to be around. I mean, Yoda should be there. Yeah, it'll be suave, like middle age Yoda, which I'm really, you know, I can get a little excited about that. Everybody likes. Yeah, it'll you know, be 700 year old Yoda. He'll be. Serious. Yeah, <laughs> he'll be so much more spry. Well, you know, he's like middle aged Maybe he has a mustache. He's going through like a Yoda <laughs> midlife crisis. There's all sorts of great stuff. He's got a convertible speeder. We're gonna find it yaddles only like 150. Uh -huh. um, He's a his, his lightsaber hilt's all blinged out. Yeah. 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 No, it, 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 it sounds like a lot of fun and it sounds like a period that we've never really the I, I like the name of it, High Republic. This idea that when we when we came into the prequel era, we saw the end of the Republic. Mm -hmm. Right? We were we were at the end, we were at the the fall of the Roman Republic. We were before Empire. This we're going back two hundred years doesn't seem far enough back for me to go. It seems I thought a little that too. recent. And 
original rumors were 400. Yeah. Like everything that went out, it was going to be 400 years before. But yeah, 200 doesn't seem quite long enough. But either way, a, a, a way to see the Republic in its full glory. Yeah. Before before Sidious starts to tear it apart, I yeah. think uh, I think will be fun and. As much as I, I'm, I'm on board with doing new stories, uh, Star Wars is Jedi. You know, like, I mean, that's part of the story, and Jedi have been around. So I don't think anyone's going to complain if there are lightsabers in their their Star Wars entertainment. Uh, they just don't want to deal with, I guess, Vader and everybody. I, I, don't, I, I still don't quite understand what, what the non-Skywalker saga Star Wars is that will be different enough that people will... But but still Star Wars enough for people to react well to it. You know, I mean, if it doesn't have stormtroopers, is the general public going to give a shit? I don't know. So. Right. So uh, but we'll, of course, be covering all of that stuff because uh, we're yep. very excited. But tonight we're going to finish out what we started last episode, which is uh, Timothy Zahn's new Thrawn trilogy. And uh, last time we talked about the first two books, Thrawn and Thrawn Alliance. Right? Yes. Alliance. Yes. And today we're going to talk about Thrawn Treason. I was going to read the publisher summary from online, but the publisher summary is nonsense and it lies. It, it <laughs> flat out does not tell you the story of the book. So I wrote up my own little one. Forgive me. Thrawn Treason takes place between season four, uh, between season four Rebels episodes, Jedi Knight and A Fool's Hope. In it, we find Grand Admiral Thrawn in an attempt to secure the future of his TIE Defender program, agreeing to help director Orson Krennic resolve a problem with Grawlocks, I think they're called, larger cousins of the Empire Strikes Back's Minox that are interfering with supply lines, feeding Project Stardust, which of course we all know is the Death Star. In the course of this mission, Thrawn is reunited with his former protege Eli Vanto, who has been serving for a year as an officer in the Chiss Ascendancy. They again counter the deadly Grisk, a warlike species from the unknown regions who Thrawn believes are an existential threat to both the Ascendancy and the Empire. Thrawn and Vanto must also watch their backs, as the Chiss is not the as the Chiss is still not trusted by most Imperials, and Vanto is seen by many as a defector and a traitor. They discover that the Grylock attacks are being used as a cover for someone to steal Imperial technology, and it turns out that thief is another Grand Admiral. And this leads to a conflict not just between Thrawn and the Grisk, but also Thrawn and a fellow officer. It all comes to a head in a series of space battles where Thrawn yet again shows he is a master of naval tactics and ends with the Emperor ordering Thrawn to return to Coruscant for a long, long talk once business on Lothal is done. A talk that never comes, as anyone who has seen the series finale of Rebels knows. So we have a, we have a, an entire book that is sandwiched basically between four episodes of, Clone, of uh, Star Wars Rebels. Yeah, it feels like it too. Mm-hmm. It's a very short, very long, short book. Yeah. Um, so, but I, but I want to start off with, you know, I, there's some things I like about this, this book, some things I don't, but I'd like to start off with a question that, I, that struck me early on, which was when in the, in the prequel trilogy, we know that, that Sheev Palpatine, and I just like to call him Sheev to be hipster, <laughs> that Sheev Palpatine was, was a master politician. He went from, you know, he managed to make himself king of all things. But in, in this series, especially, it seems Zahn is very interested in the emperor as a politician. He's way more political in this than we've ever seen him before. But this setup, this idea that the whole plot hinges on the the fact that Thrawn wants money for his program, Tarkin and Krennic want money for the Death Star, and basically they make a bet that Thrawn can exterminate some pests, Mm -hmm. and if he does it, 
he gets to keep his TIE Fighters. Please tell me that that's not stupid. Go. When you spell it out like that, it is kind of stupid. <laughs> you know, it's not the best. It's <laughs> it, it really does, like you said. I mean, you feel that Zahn has so many limitations to work around Rebels that you can't do anything on a really big scale at that point. Because, he like you said, he's got to be back on Lothal within however long. Like a week. It's like a week. Yeah. And, and we not too upset about whatever happened off. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It can't be too. And that's something I'll get to as well. It, it didn't. It, um, all of these books, besides the first one, it felt pretty small in their stakes. Mm-hmm. And that is part of the fact that he is working around rebels. Uh, we, we mentioned the last one felt kind of like a tie in. And I don't think this one is much different in in feeling like a tie in to a television show that he doesn't have any control over. Actually, my first note was, if you hadn't seen any Rebels, would you even know what any of this meant? Would any of this stuff matter to you if you've never seen Rebels? And, and that's going to be a problem with a lot of Expanded Universe, or I guess what we're calling it now, the new canon or whatever stuff, right? Is that we want it all to gel together. We want it all to feel like a part of a whole. We also want to be able to pick and choose which pieces of the whole we we consume, right? Like Beth, you're not reading the comics, and um, uh, and I haven't finished. I haven't caught up on all the books yet, and I don't know. I, you're right. It's 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 kind of a problem I have with the Marvel movies. By the time they got to Infinity War, is like if you if you didn't know when you sat down for Infinity War, if you hadn't seen every single movie, you were going to be lost. And, like, and, I, I and, don't want to have to tie my life to something to understand a book I pick up. Yeah. So, I mean, and, and it's impossible for me to know whether that's the case. Um, you know, that could just read as just kind of generic exposition. But it is something. That, so what do we think of this plot that they've given Thrawn over the course of the show and in these books of, of his entire purpose seeming to be this Tide Defender program? I know we talked about it last time, but I still just don't get it. Like, I mean, it gives him some sort of military advantage, I guess. But it's too much. Like, Thrawn doesn't need TIE Defender or whatever the hell they're called. Um, The new TIE Fighters. Like, I like Thrawn when he has a bigger, more complicated plan. And and maybe the TIEs were. Maybe there was something we never saw. Or maybe they could have brought that in more, like... I think it would have been worth in the books to maybe see that. Like, why does he want these stupid TIE fighters so bad? And why is he so obsessed with it? Now, I completely understand, and I think they do a good job of this, on showing what he thinks about the Death Star. And that, yep, you know, this is a big old waste of time, and it's putting too many resources over here. Uh, But I don't, you know, I get it why they did it on the show. It's an easy thing for kids to understand, but as a book character, it's a little thin. In defense of the TIE Defenders, when you see them in action in this book, they are really freaking effective, though. I mean, they they do a really good job. They're very powerful. They're very powerful, and they are far more agile than a Death Star. I don't think that that's enough to really sell the whole thing, but... They do show, you know, how effective they are, I think, effectively. 
I guess my my question is because of what Ryan said is why are these competing projects? They seem to have very different ends, right? Like, well, like in what in what 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 setup is is this world killing, you know, battle station? Why why is it fighting for funds over a new line of fighters? Well, to go back to your your first point is why is the emperor being so political? You're the emperor. You can just decide. Why do you have to pit people against each other and pit projects against each other? You can just pick up the phone and call Tarkin and go, nope, shut it down. Well, or, I did think about that. But one one of the things that Palpatine does do and that people have, have emphasized in, in books and comics is the idea that he likes to set his subordinates against each other. Yep. He like you know, part of that comes from the rule of two, right? And the Sith mentality of, you know, if you ain't trying to kill your boss, you're not doing your job. Um, you're never going to get anywhere without ambition. And he likes to set them against each other. And the Sith very much believe in survival of the fittest in the most kind of gross sense. And that he wants them to compete. He wants them to fight for his favor. And he figures the strongest ones, the most brutal ones, will rise to the surface. And he doesn't care. So I I, I get it, but it just seems a little too petty because it's not a you're trying to kill somebody. It's not a life or death. It's just a, I want my project to win, damn it. I'm just thinking money-wise, if, well, if it's, this is really a matter of resources, the Death Star, like, you could you could make 45 new types of TIE Fighters for the money it's going to take to make a Death Star. And I'm going to have to think, like, I can't remember what all the books they show. I know it had, it's in Catalyst, and it's in some of the other books they talk about it. But the money for the Death Star was being hidden. Like, they... At this point, no one knows it's out there. He's funneling money away from the Senate because um, at that point, the Senate's still around. Uh, yeah. God, what book is it? They talk about it more. Um, and the Senate's not Catalyst. Yeah, I know in Catalyst it's a big one. Yeah, so I mean he – I mean I imagine he's still operating under the I have a war budget. Um, well, yeah, I mean the Senate's not disbanded till New Hope. Yeah. So I, I think – you're, you're right. He is. He's still in the phase where he's um, which, again, he goes back to the early Roman Empire where they have the semblance of democracy, where they keep the apparatus of democracy in place, even though there's really just one person running things. And so you're right. He, he is funneling the money. It just feels like the tie defenders will be a fraction of a fraction of a fraction of the budget. Right. Of well, and Star. when you just built a whole fleet of star destroyers, maybe what? 17 years ago, 15 years ago, like, you know, I, I, you can afford a few more. Um, yeah. So, so we can all agree. It's a little specious of a setup. Uh, maybe it's not as uh, maybe it's a little more solid than the setup for Alliance, which was, uh, I got a feeling go that way. Yeah. <laughs> kind of the entire plot of Alliance is the emperor's got a bad feeling and just shoots Vader that way. So I think it's a little more solid, but it, it does feel a little, yeah, I think petty is not not a bad word, Beth. I think it's 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 very it, it seems nitpicky for when we're dealing with these big characters. I mean, I love to see Tarkin and I love to see Krennic. I'm a big Orson Krennic fan, so I love to see them worked into the mix. And and this emphasis on imperial bureaucracy is something that I think really interests Zon, and it interests me as well. Uh, but I think maybe he dives a little too too deep into it at times. Mm-hmm. So another big thing that happens in this, um, missing from the last book, of course, was uh, Eli Vanto. Oh, boy. Vanto's <laughs> back. I would like to uh, 
first of all, if anyone listens to the audiobook, I'd like to point out that narrator Mark Thompson has decided that Eli Vanto talks like George W. Bush. <laughs> and it's kind of messed up the character for me. Like, I'm serious. Listen to the audiobook. If he's not doing a Bush impression, I don't know what no, he's doing. No, I don't, I don't want to spend my money that Clear. way now. <laughs> so it's really weird the way he gives him. He gives him kind of this drawl. It's very strange. So, so Eli's back. Uh, he was our Dr. Watson in the first mm-hmm. book. And while I believe last time we talked about we didn't understand the love for him, I don't think any of us disliked him in the first book. No, he's a fine yeah, character. He's fine. But, he's there and he's good at being there. Well, he was good. He was good in that Dr. Watson role of letting us observe observe the supernaturally in- intellectual Thrawn from a more normal person's point of view. Oh, and mm-hmm. speaking of, I figured this out after we talked last time. If this were in the Doctor Who universe, Eli Vanta would be a companion. He would be the guy who's letting us see the whole crazy galaxy and all this magical stuff happening through the eyes of a normal person. So that means, that means Doctor Who's a companion too. Yeah. He's a companion. That's true. He very much is. And the and the Grisk are actually Klingons, but we'll get to that. Um <laughs> so so what did we think about Eli's presence in this book? He's here again. <laughs> I I mean, so they give him a love interest, sort of, and, and that's fine. I guess they're trying to flesh out his character a little bit, but other than him having the conflict with Ronan and everybody thinking he's a traitor, I, eh. again, he's just there to make Thrawn look good. But but does he? That's my problem, is that he, he comes back. This is kind of a problem you get with Dr. Holmes. Dr. Holmes, wow. We're Sherlock Holmes stories. <laughs> is, is that as Watson learns to think more like Holmes, it actually becomes less interesting. And in this, Eli, they, they kind of make Eli a little mini Thrawn yeah. in his powers of deductions and his tactics. And you kind of go like, well, why do we need him there then? But except he isn't, because when he goes to work for the Chiss, they assign him an analyst job, but they don't tell him what he's analyzing. Oh, I don't at get, all. I don't until get what the he's end doing of the freaking book. Yeah, I don't get his role with the Chiss at all. I think. And they never say this, but I always kind of assume that part of his going there and assigning him this role without telling him what it is and all that, that's Thrawn training him still to not get direct instructions. You just need to figure it out. And what can you get from this experience? Um, I thought that as well. But did I didn't. The problem I had with their relationship in this book is I didn't feel anything between them like I did in the first book. No. It was yeah, almost like he they, barely they, they talks to him. They don't grow any together this time around. Like the first one is a is a, you know, and, and I think we can all agree the first book of these three was for sure the best. But oh, yeah. But in the, there they had a relationship that grew and evolved. And you actually saw them becoming, yes, mentor, mentee, but also friends. And in this, they're kind of locked into the places they're already in. And they just kind of they interact. But I but I, I can't. I can't come up with one distinct moment between them that I thought was cool. It's just them. They, it, he could have been any other character. Yeah. Is all. Except for the whole thing about him being a traitor. And we had little, uh, what's his name? Ronan, the Krennic yeah. Jr. The, the has, guy who borrowed a capelet to think he was fancy. <laughs> I kind of like that, though. Uh, that was <laughs> a good detail. I, 
I like that Orson Krennic is such a such such a putz that he wears that cape, but his underling like wears a smaller cape. It's just, <laughs> well, it's if a, you had an underling, you would make him wear a smaller cape. Well, I can't have a bigger cape. That's exactly. Sure. Can't have a bigger cape. Um, okay, is anything else? Anything anybody wanted to bring up before I get to more of my questions? I don't know. Go ahead. Beth, you said you had notes. Uh, well, you know, we talked last time about how short the second and third book were. And I didn't even notice it at the time I was reading them, but it's a short book. And even still, the whole thing with the Death Troopers and Banto and Ronan when they go to the planet and they, they meet up with the street gang. And that all seems so unnecessary. And long. And long and boring. It and does. it added nothing to the story for me. And I, I don't want this show to be just us bashing books. And, and I'm not trying to. I want to talk and about I, the stuff I didn't dislike too. this book. No. Yeah. But there is – it is a little – it does – it is a little slow. And it, I, I think that it's a book that a whole lot happens in it and nothing happens at the same time. Like there's a lot of plot. There's a whole hell of a lot of plot. But I think there's very little story. I feel like if your hands are tied by Rebels, then go outside of that timeline do do something else. Well, and that's what we'll get to with his new, with the ascendancy books, trilogy. With the ascendancy trilogy, we'll talk about that later. But I mean, he will be doing that. I don't know. I, I have. Uh, I would like to see him. He has ta- He has done non thrawn novels in the past. But I think you know this is what they're bringing him in to do, is to right. to 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 bulk up this character that he created. That's one of the greatest characters in non Star Wars movie history. And non-Star Wars movies. Yeah, I guess. And um, <laughs> uh, however that works. So it just – but you're right. The the There's a lot of machinations to the plot in this book. But I wasn't ever – I wasn't necessarily compelled to find out what happened next. I think part of the weakness is the Grisks are never a great bad guy. Um, I just never – and it's probably because – the invasion hasn't started. It's like, eh, these are just kind of the scouts. And we hear a lot about, well, they could do this, but you never see that. And the ones we see, you only see them here or there. Like we talked about last time, it's still kind of unclear how they take over a society. And so I think that really hurt the books is not having that central uh, antagonist. I still don't know what they look like. I don't either. And, I, I, but, I can't but from picture what them I in understand- my head. What I understand from what the books have told me is they don't even really battle. There's there's not like yeah. a lot of battle. They just go in there and they're like, hey, guys, we're super persuasive. We're going to take you over to our side and you're going to work for us now. Very, mean, high, very high charisma scores. Yeah. Now, for some reason, when I read it, and, and this probably doesn't come from any description they gave, I kept picturing them looking like the uh, uh, – what are the guys in the fifth element? You know, the uh, dummy aliens in the fifth oh, element. You mean I don't Chris remember Tuck- what you they're called, but yes. Chris Tucker? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that is why people tell them they will give up because they right. want him to stop talking. Yeah. Um, I don't know why I pictured here. I'm going to look a picture of a Grisk up. See, I've been watching. I've been well, catching up on Picard, and I've been catching up on very slowly on Star Trek Discovery. And... Whenever they talk about these these Grisk in their cloaked ships, which Zahn has kind of an obsession with cloaking devices that and I don't think any other Star Wars – yeah, any other Star Wars writer does. But they remind me of Klingons. They're this warlike species out there that hide in their invisible ships 
And it, it felt very Klingon to me this time around when I was going through it. Um, again, I don't know what they look like. So in my head, they actually look like Klingons. So I'm looking up pictures of – now these are just pictures of people posting the old <laughs> Yuzan Vong and saying, yeah, they kind of look like that. Yeah, exactly. exactly. That's what's kind of uh, uh, strange about it. I, yeah, my question about the Grisk was that they, they've built this up, that this they're this existential threat. But if if Zahn is going back in time to tell us this uh, a trilogy about uh, Thrawn before he comes to the Empire – are we going to ever hit that? Are we ever going to talk about the Grisk? Is this going to amount to anything, or is just this kind of a tease that's going to left? Now dang- we're going to leave dangling. I mean, maybe the Grisk—that's who Ezra and Thrawn go take care of. I yeah. would watch the heck out of that. Like that's the setup. They show you up. Just want to see a Grisk. <laughs> Ezra says, "All right, I'll work with you. We're going to fight these guys off," and then. They become best friends. And then that can happen finds in, them and everybody's friends forever. Well, that can happen in season three because the first several seasons just have to be Ahsoka and Sabine on the road. Yeah. <laughs> That's all I want. Um, I want to see the Ahsoka-Sabine show, just their adventures for, I don't know, five, six, seven, eight, nine seasons. And then maybe they'll run into Ezra eventually. Um, other things that I noticed, uh, it, it, this this book also brought back the Skywalkers. The Chiss, uh, Force-sensitive children that they use as uh, navigators, as nav computers. We didn't really discuss it that much, I don't think, last time. But one thing we, we're seeing in – we saw this in the Expanded Universe, but we're seeing it a lot in current canon – is authors and creators wanting to show the Force doing new things. And but, – but between this and then the Sith Wayfinders – in Revenge of the Sith, and from what I saw, that the the Nil, the Nile, the villains from from uh, from High Republic, their power, like you were talking about, is going to have something to do with hyperspace. Yep. So, how do we feel about hyperspace almost becoming this mystical thing and not a scientific, not a scientific thing, but almost like a a power of its own in, in current canon? Hyperspace lanes are canon. There's lanes. The lanes, sure, the lanes, but but the idea that that a force users can have be more—it's not just they're they're navigating that they can be more attuned to it. That hyperspace almost is the another plane. I don't know. It's just interesting that they well, keep tying it into things as as something that force users can interact with. Oh yeah, and I think it's going to tie a lot of it has to do with you know this world between worlds we saw in Rebels. Like there's a whole nother. I don't know what it is, mystic, whatever you want to call it, part to the galaxy that Star Wars is starting to dip its toes into. And I think it's interesting. I yeah. I worry they're going to get over like carried away again with what force powers can do and we're going to end up like, you know, Superman pulling his emblem off and throwing it kind of force powers. <laughs> but uh, I think it's Superman interesting. Three. You know, I, I don't I don't know. I'm I'm not sure I like where it's headed. I'm OK where it is now. I I just have a feeling it could easily go overboard. Oh, it absolutely could. Now, what do you think, though, about what Rebels did? Like, are you a person that likes the world between worlds and the Loth Wolves? It's a very, it's a very polarizing episode. Uh, yeah. OK, so the Loth Wolves bothered me a bit. Uh, I just felt like it was a little too much, too quick. Just like, wait, what? Oh, okay, so we can walk through walls now and the wolves can 
talk to us. Okay, I don't know what's happening. I I felt like it it all took place too quickly and it was just very sudden and very jarring to throw me into this. Okay, I accept whatever's happening right now. I enjoyed I, the world between worlds. Mm-hmm. I don't mind that it's there, but I'm on the fence about it. You know, I don't I, know that I want to see a ton of it. I don't mind that it's yeah. there, but I don't know that I want to live there. Yeah, I'm still up in the air, honestly. <laughs> I'm still waiting for yeah. the other shoe to drop as far as what this really means. Uh-huh. But, I mean, it's it's very different. Um, but we got to remember, this is Space Wizards, and it is, it's always been magic. It's yeah. always, this is not a science fiction story. This is not a science fiction world. Um, yeah. This is a fantasy world, and... and you can only have them waving their hands to tell someone to move on so many times. You can only have them lift so many rocks to make it interesting. So the, so the, so creators, and they've always done this, like I said, but trying to find like the, the um, witches of Dathomir mm-hmm. where uh, I believe it was Dave Wolverton, I think. Right. Yeah. They wrote course of a princess Leia. Mm-hmm. Um, the Dave Wolverton created this. I think he's the first one I can remember. And I may be wrong where he had, people that were force users but weren't Jedi and didn't identify them as force users. They were just like magicians. They were wizards and warlocks. And that has kind of continued uh, on where the force, it's kind of this idea. I don't know if it ties into the gray Jedi and all that nonsense, but the idea that, that the force can be many things to many people. And, but dipping into this literal, like, I mean, Ezra pulls Ahsoka through time. Yeah. Yeah. And while I'm the results of that, I am very glad about. <laughs> um, I I still am a little iffy on the actual logistics of it and the fact that that's something that can happen. See, like I'm down with the Night Sisters. I I can. Oh yeah, get I love the Night Sisters. That. that makes sense, and I can get behind it. Plus, you play but, Fallen, if you play Fallen Order, you'll really like the Night Sisters. But but yeah. you're really gonna hate the Night Brothers. Got it. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's true. <laughs> That's true. But, but that Night Sister's a really cool character. Yeah. The the whole wolves and the oh, we're in another dimension and nobody's ever gonna be able to find us, so what so everybody's gonna have to go to this other dimension at some point to get Ezra and Thrawn, or are they just gonna find their way out or Space They're not octopus. in the dimension. The space wolves took them across the galaxy. Space yeah. octopus wolf things. Yeah, space octopus. <laughs> Space octopus is just going to spit them out somewhere good, and they'll be chilling on Gatalenta, drinking tea. Where, where I'm getting muddled, and Ryan, you've tracked this better than I have, is the whole push about the unknown regions. Oh, yeah. And what's out there. And, and while I think we got some of that answered with Exegol, and I think we're going to have more of it answered in the Skywalker novelization that we will be, Rise of Skywalker novelization that we'll be talking about. And I believe that there's reports that there's an Exegol project in the works. Yep. Supposedly there is. Which I'm, I'm okay with, but but we can find – so so that's that exp, not explains a lot of it, but that's what a lot of that is about. But, but this unknown re, it, it seems like the unknown regions is uh, – unknown regions are kind of like the hell mouth on Buffy. <laughs> right? Like if you want to like introduce something new or you want to do something mysterious, eh, it's just from – it's from Wild Space. It's from the unknown regions. Uh, uh, whatever. You know? But it's kind of clouding it where I don't know if all this is related or not. Over the course of years and years and years, why is it still unknown? Doesn't anybody ever just go, hey, you guys want to go find out what's in the unknown regions and make it be known? So you can't. Like that's – there is a – 
and this they go into aftermath is a lot about this you can't oh, that's why get, i don't know it we're gonna make you read it yeah. we're gonna make you read <laughs> you can't get into the unknown regions really well and not in any short amount of time because the there's no clear hyperspace lane and so and again spoilers well, a lot of what it turns out aftermath is about is the emperor figured out or had a machine that taught him how to get out there. And yeah. that's the same reason they need the Sith uh, Wayfinder. I swear I want to call it a holocron every it's time. It's a holocron. Why it's not just a damn holocron. We talked it's about this. It is a variety of holocron. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> but that's why you need it. Yeah, you it's can't just go into holocron. the internet. And I, think I would have liked to have heard the word holocron said in a live-action Star Wars movie, though. Me too. Know. Yeah. Um, but I think also tying it back in, I think that's also why – the Chiss are able to come from the unknown regions into the Star Wars galaxy is because they don't use nav computers. And so, you know, it might tie into whatever this mystery of hyperspace is. There's some sort of religious part to it. But before whatever it is, they are able to come through that messed up part of space. In another Timothy Zahn book, Outbound Flight, a group of smugglers just kind of winds up there. They just, like pop into unknown space and they just hang out with the chiss. So it's not that tough to get there. I know it's not a canon book, but yeah. I, think, I think they've decided to do that for the new yeah. canon to make the unknown regions this kind of before it was just, listen, you have the galaxy and then you have, you know, it takes a long time to explore and settle a galaxy, right? So there's always going to be unknown regions. There's always going to be, you know, you have the, the core worlds and then you have the expansion area, right? The expansion region and then the, the different rims and the mid-rim. And those are all, you know, areas that have been explored over time. And the unknown regions are just ones they haven't got to yet. I always assumed there were scouts out there, mm-hmm. you know, mapping the unknown regions. But they were still, you know, fairly unknown. Uh, hence the name. But, and that that's where the Chiss live. And that's where, I don't remember who else is out there. The Vong, obviously. Yeah. But, or the Vong are from another galaxy, though, right? Yeah, they're from even farther away. So yeah, they're they're like extra galactic. So, um, so to get back to Thrawn just for a minute, and then yeah. we'll we'll talk about the trilogy. <laughs> um, so I mean, it's hard to talk about this book in a way, just because, like I said, I don't feel like I got much out of it, and I don't feel like I I feel like at the end of it, I wasn't told much of a story. Now, would this book have been better if it had come out before we knew the end of Rebels? Would you would you have been more invested if you didn't know that in a in a in a couple of days he was gonna vanish for the next however many years? Nope. You don't think so? I would have. Because no. it, it does hang over it, just like you know we've learned over these last you know thirty one years, right? Um, that that prequels are problematic partially because you know what's gonna happen, and even something small like this where you know. Thrawn's not in, not really in jeopardy because we know what's going to go on. None of the, you know, so much is made of, at least in the description, I don't know if it's in the book, of his allegiance, whether he's whether he's loyal to the Chiss or loyal to the Empire. But I know that he's going to go away and it doesn't, none of that matters. None of the choices he makes are going to have any repercussions. But they've said he's not dead. So it's no. it's not like you're watching Rebels going, oh my God, he just died. Or, oh my God, he might be dead. They've already said he and Ezra aren't dead. No, they're absolutely not, and they would be foolish to have to, to kill them off in that way. That was clearly designed to to be a cliffhanger. But I just think, 
I don't I don't know. There was just this, you know, we keep going back to this could have just been a not that's not fair, but could have done a three part Rebels arc, you know, like it, it fits it just it fits so neatly into it and it and it takes so little time and and i like the fact that it does have at the beginning it has a scene from rebels from the other side where yeah. you get to hear what thrawn is thinking when he gets called back to defend the tide defenders mm-hmm. and like i said i like seeing all the bureaucrats and everything we talk about we've got a we've got a grant one of the we, we get confirmation that there are only 12 grand admirals in this book and that we meet another one who ends up being a crook um and yeah, I mean, unless anyway. Uh, oh, and an uh, important thing: uh, Captain Paleon finally shows up. Yeah. Um, we we get a, we get our Captain Paleon appearance who, who appearance who of course he showed up in the finale of Rebels, but this is kind of a little mini origin story of how he gets on Thrawn's side. And uh, yeah, and- so does anybody have anything else? Like I say, I just I, I get a little I have a hard time because I don't feel like a ton happens in this book. Despite they how- finally make they finally make up an excuse for Darth Vader to show up in Rogue One. Oh, do they? Yeah, because Thrawn recommends at the end. Thrawn recommends that Darth Vader be sent to oversee the end of uh, Project oh. Stardust. Yeah, that's right. That's yeah. So they give yeah. him a reason to be there because to me that was the only down point of Rogue One was why would why would Darth Vader be there? Well, it has this at the end. It, it has the moment where the Emperor is like, "Well, come talk to me when this is over." But it also sends him. This was I felt confused, not confusing, but he sends him the at the end of Rebels when Ezra goes into the Star Destroyer and there's like a Sith temple in it or whatever, yeah. or like that little thing. In this, it has the Emperor telling him, "I'm going to send this over to you." To put oh, in your ship. Yeah, yeah. And it made it feel even more like a tie-in novel. Yeah. Because like, it still didn't make any sense. And he's only got to, he's got to build that whole thing in like a couple of days. And it just felt like, oh, this was just this just took place between these two shows. And and there nothing of consequence could happen. So therefore nothing of consequence did happen. Right. You know, so I, I just felt. So let's let's take a step back. And let's kind of look at this this new trilogy. I, I think all of us were excited when Timothy Zahn announced he was going to be doing new Thrawn novels in the new canon. We were excited that he was showing up on Rebels. Uh, Beth, what was your what's your general impressions of of this trilogy, and and how do you think it stacks up to? Listen, we can't help but compare it to the Heir to the Empire, Dark Force Rising, Last Command trilogy, the the books that started in earnest, started the expanded universe. Um, what do you, how do you feel about it? Looking back? I can't really say one is better than the other because they're so deeply different. And because if I have to get canon now, there are so many things wrong with the original trilogy if you're going to live in the canon. And I of feel course. like you, you kind of have to live in the canon now. But there are things that were so much more right about it because there weren't the compelling characters of the first trilogy there's there's no talon card there's no mara jade there's right. no leia pregnant with twins hanging out in kashik yeah i love that sequence yeah yeah and there's the stakes are higher in the original trilogy it doesn't it's not a tie-in because there was nothing to tie into no he had carte blanche pretty much so you could just do he he told me he's just like nobody ever thought there was 
sorry, BTW. I interviewed Timothy Zahn in 2014 when he was either not knowing or not allowed to say anything about doing anything else for Star Wars ever. And he said that he just was given a, a blank check and there was no such thing as a Sith back then. So he made Dark Jedi. And that's yep. the whole reason Dark Jedi exists is because there there were no Sith. There were... There was no... The word was out there in some of like the early drafts of the script and everything. But yeah, you're correct. It was not a word that most of us had ever heard, for sure. But like the clones, he, he said that everybody just assumed the clones were the bad guys. Right. So every everything about cloning that happens in the original trilogy, it's them thinking that clones are bad. It's nefarious. And they're making yeah. evil clones. And nobody knew that knew that eventually George Lucas would be like, hey, so the clones work for us for a minute. Yeah. So the clones are all evil. And then I think in, I don't know if it's canon now or not, but, you know, then later they decide that clones can't have force powers. So that kind of changes everything from that as well. Yeah. But it just felt like from the first series, everything, there was a stake. You knew that yeah. Han and Leia and Luke weren't going to die, and you knew from get-go that Mara Jade was going to get down with Luke Skywalker because she wanted to kill him way too bad to not be yeah. into him. She's kind of like a 10-year-old boy. It's a little window into your relationships, but okay. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. But again, we both know your husband, so continue. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, Ryan, uh, I think I know the answer to this, but Ryan, do you prefer... This Thrawn, or do you prefer Warlord Thrawn, who's actually the villain of the piece and not the protagonist? I'll be curious to see what, what you think. It's, I prefer this Thrawn. Okay. Um, I like the kind of back and forth between him and the Chess, or his loyalty between the Empire and the Chess. Um, I like the more kind of calculated, less warlordy kind of parts of it. There are parts of the old character that I do miss. Um, I think, and we've talked a lot about bad things about these books, but I really do like these books. I enjoyed yeah. reading them. Um, I wonder if we could have, if they could have gave Timothy's on a little more freedom with him, if we could have seen this Thrawn do a little more. Because um, I, for one, I think I prefer Warlord Thrawn. Damn. Partially because I think, I think to me personally, he was more effective as a villain. And yeah. In 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 those original books, we had, you could have this, you know, unbelievably intelligent, crafty, uh, villain who was legitimately scary. He was scary. He was a great follow up to Vader and the Emperor. That Timothy right. Zong created back then, and that's all we had. Again, you know, it, it's it's hard for some people to remember, or they weren't around, or they weren't paying attention how little Star Wars there was oh, <laughs> between yeah. between '83 and when's the heir to the Empire '91? '91. '91, and there was nothing in between yeah. there. And when he came well, in, Splinter in the Mind's Eye. Splinter in the Mind's Eye was before Shh, that. Let's, Splinter in Mind's Eye was seventy. Splinter in the Mind's Eye was okay, '78. That came out before Empire. <laughs> That came out in 78, and then you had the Han and Lando books, which are great, by the way. But they're yeah. they're kind of hard, pulpy sci-fi books that feel of their time. Yeah. And 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 don't feel necessarily Star Warsy, although Brian Daly was a, a good writer. I love the the solo books. Mm-hmm. But but we we had this kind of drought, and when Heir to the Empire came out, 
it wasn't just yeah we got to see our new characters again but he he did the impossible he created a character that ended up being maybe not as but close to as popular as palpatine as close to as popular as vader as a villain and I think one of his major mistakes was killing him. I think killing him at the end of that trilogy was a mistake. But like Beth was saying, he didn't know what the hell was going to happen. Right. And he I don't did. know. If you would not killed him, though, would he have been dragged on for years and years? Maybe. And lost that greatness. I mean, I think Perhaps. if you're going to make – I mean, Disney obviously said you've got to put Thrawn in this time frame. Um yeah. I don't think you can have the you know that Thrawn exist at the same time as Vader and the Emperor. Oh, I agree, and I don't I don't fault that. I, I yeah. guess to me, I just the the my preferred version of Thrawn is the one that's uh, in. Uh, I'm gonna use the word I've used the word a lot, but an existential existential threat to the New Republic. You know, when yeah. you come into the air to the Empire, the New Republic is like we may not survive this. This dude is kicking our butt. And 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 he does. He wrecks them. And and it's in. I I just this this kind of and, and I know over the years Zon did a lot of work to make Thrawn a little more sympathetic, to make him a more interesting, you know, to give him more of a noble kind of presence. But these books have done a complete. Not a, I don't I want to call an overhaul, but this is a very different idea of who this man is not, you know, yeah, a lot of it's there, but morally oh, and, completely different, you know, and, and we're supposed to listen. I, I like a story about a bad guy as much as the next person, but I don't know. I think I, I'm, I'm not sure that I am as compelled watching. I say this. I'm not as compelled watching Imperials like without any kind of contrast. Right. There's no contrast in this. We, it's hard. To, it's sometimes it's easy to forget reading books like this that these are bad guys. Well, well he's, all right. So that's a gray question. area. Is yeah. Thrawn a bad guy? The new Thrawn. No, I mean, he's he's complete gray area now. Yeah, he is. He is, but you can't. You know, not to draw too you know sharp of a point, but you know it's still hard to cheer for the good Nazi, right? I mean, it. it, it He's still part of him, the problem, and he's still trying to kill the you know crew of the ghost who we love. Yeah, I mean Neutron. If you he's kind of like he's kind of like Italy. He's not so much a Nazi. <laughs> right. He's Nazi adjacent. He's he's a fascist, but he's not yeah. a Nazi. He's worrying about his team, so he's kind of joined up with these really bad guys, and he's like, I'm not so sure about this one, but yeah. <laughs> So we can agree they're both they're they're it's, it's interesting though they're both very different takes on the character but the character is also very similar he also managed to keep a lot of the soul of the character intact and a lot of what makes him interesting while changing the context entirely yeah and I sometimes you know I felt like they pulled some characters in that look does Rook need to be there no and I. I don't know. Sometimes stuff like that felt like I understand you're doing this to bring him back into canon, but there really wasn't a good explanation for him or why he was around. Just all of a sudden, yep, here he is. And he wasn't needed. He didn't have a point. Yeah. In in the new Thrawn, right. but he had a point in the old Thrawn. Oh, he has a huge point in the old Thrawn. <laughs> quite quite, li- quite, quite quite literally. 
quite literally. The Nogri in general were a huge part of the first trilogy. Right. Yeah, I always I always wanted it, to write a book called Lady Vader. I love <laughs> that the Nogri called her Lady Vader. Lady Vader. Here it's just kind of like there there's this one Nogri out there just hanging out protecting yeah. Thrawn. I like I like Rook on Rebels, and I don't mind him in the books, but I agree with you. Where did he come from? It doesn't feel like something that he can explain in in his new books because he wasn't there when Thrawn got to the Empire. Well, and this Thrawn doesn't feel like he would have a rook. Like yeah. old Thrawn, yep, I got this crazy dude that can go invisible and murder you wherever. I've got this team of assassins. Yeah, this Thrawn, I don't know if he would have that. Well, That's, he's got death troopers. Why does he need rook? Yeah. Loyalty, I guess. Rook, I don't know. rook could take out some death troopers. Come on. You know he yeah. could. That's rook, true. I like rook. No. So that leaves us. We 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 found out. I don't know when he announced that Ryan. It was sometime this year that that uh, I believe I was I was watching a video on I believe it was on Star Wars Explained YouTube channel, which I believe is based out of Atlanta, and they said that he had interviewed Thrawn as well, and he asked him if he was going to be doing the the story continuing what happened with Thrawn and Ezra after the end of Rebels. And he said he was waiting to hear from Filoni. Uh, that he had he had he had submitted a proposal and he's waiting to hear from Filoni. And the next thing we hear about it is he's writing a series of novels that take place before. So the answer was no. The answer from Dave was no. Uh, and I don't blame him. That is Dave. You know, I that's think his thing. That is his story. And oh no, I'm not. Yeah, that's absolutely true. Yeah. But. Are we excited for these new Thrawn books? For, I for am. I mean, we're going to read them. I, I kind of am. I am I am interested enough in the Chiss and who they are as a people to, to read more. I don't know that the book will, the new books would give me any further insight into the Grisk, but if they do, super, because otherwise I've wasted three books worrying about their threat. I think they'll have to. Yeah. I think they'll have to. I think that's what he's got to hold on to, right? I mean, that's right. that's the because he can't. Again, he's he's kind of we know where we know where Thrawn's going in them. We know they're going to come to the conclusion that the Grisk are a threat, and he's going to have to infiltrate the Empire. Like we know all that, so setting it in the past is always tricky. You know, with a character that we're trying to catch, that we're that we know a lot about already. Yeah. But there's no tie-in this time. That's what I'm excited about. Yes. Let's see without a tie-in. There's no story whatsoever holding you back besides he has to live through it and get to the Empire. And well, we get, saw that get a, in his first get novel. Get a Rook. <laughs> yeah, get, yeah, get a Rook. We saw that in the first novel, right? He was he was pretty untethered. Right. You know, he he had to he had to fit it into the new canon, but he wasn't under any kind of constraints. There was no ticking clock, and, and he, that's. He, that's why it was the best book of the trilogy. Yeah, and we all enjoyed that one quite a bit. And I, I think you're right, Ryan. I don't, I don't hate these books at all. I, I enjoyed reading them, but I think what we're all reacting to is the first book was really good. Yeah. And it felt like they kind of took a slide after that. Yep. And they got shorter, and they got less interesting. And I think we've hit it on the head, though. I think the handcuffs he had. Mm-hmm. He had to make the adventures tiny. I mean, the fact that he, in the middle of Rebels, Thrawn goes off and has an adventure with Darth Vader and then comes back and never mentions it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, 
you know, well, what's then, he what's he gonna do? Be like, hey, I was just chilling uh, with Vader. What you been doing, Governor but Price? No, but then there's no consequence to any of it. You know, that's the other thing too. The first Thrawn, as you mentioned, it served as a, an origin story for a Price mm-hmm. as well, right? It, it it had a much I don't know, it was much richer than these books, which just feel like I don't know, one-off adventures that don't uh, add a lot. So. So we're looking forward to the Ascendancy books. Uh, so, Beth, I believe the next book was your decision. So what are we going to read next? Next time, hopefully very soon, we are going no to promises. discuss. <laughs> <laughs> given given scheduling, uh, we will be discussing Master and Apprentice because we will get to talk about my very favorite Jedi. I don't know if I've told you guys this or not, but Obi-Wan is my favorite Jedi. Hmm. hmm. <laughs> You don't say. You don't say. say. It has very little to do with Ewan McGregor. Okay, it has something to do with Ewan McGregor. It has quite a bit to do with Ewan McGregor. Shut up. It doesn't have anything to do with Alec Guinness, that's for damn sure. No. It has to do with the character and a little bit to do with Ewan McGregor. I love Ewan And I also love Ewan McGregor. He's he's, he's hot. He's really hot. Um, (laughs) Well, um, and the best part is this will get into our fray of what is a big theme of the new canon books. Make the prequels better. Yes. 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 This, I believe, Master and Apprentice is of the books we have thus far until High Republic comes out the earliest timeline-wise of any of the new canon stories that we have. It'll also be our first foray into the works of Claudia Gray, who I think we can all agree is one of the better, maybe the best of the new Star Wars writers. I would say the best right now. Yeah. Yeah. I would agree. She's put out some really good books that I, I we hope to talk about, and she's very. I don't know, she's a, she's been a fresh voice that has been kind of surprising, and she's put out some really good books. Um, and uh, after that, we've got a you know I think uh, we want to maybe talk about what Resistance Reborn at some point. Uh, yeah, but I mean, we'll be getting close to the novelization of the movie. We are oh. going to try to the novelization. We're going to try to get that done in a timely fashion. I think yeah. that we have to do Resistance Reborn first, though. Yeah. Now, I will say, if you're listening, you know, be wary. The book of Rise of Skywalker was sent out, and people are spoiling it left and right. Um, yeah, I'm not reading So, anything. watch but, some headlines. Which... Some things that people thought should have been in the movie. Turns out they were in the story. Right. Um, Amazon so. will not automatically deliver that to my Kindle until the release date. Yeah, Damn it. that that is um. To be fair though, that has been the case of every single Star Wars novelization ever. I, I would say that is true, and again, not to I don't want to go into it much, but if these people are accurate in what they're reading, it's a pretty dramatic, huge detail yep. that sure should have been in that movie. Yeah, and I haven't we, read anything, so I don't know. Yeah, I I'm, will not read anything because I don't yeah. want to know. I'm excited to check it out. But but I mean, always remember this. According to the Return of the Jedi novelization, uh, Owen is Ben's brother. That's true. So that that stood for a while as as as, as canon for a while there uh, that Owen Lars is actually a Kenobi. Um, OK, well, that sounds that sounds good. And we'll, we'll come back next time and we'll talk about Master and Apprentice. Okay, good cool. talking to you all. All right. all right. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys. Join us next time. You have been listening to a Needless Things podcast. You can follow Needless Things on Facebook, Twitter, 
Instagram, and at needlessthingspodcast.com. Love you. Mean it. Uh-huh.